Another episode of Behind the Vinyl. This week, we, myself and Nicholas are joined by the Swedish um, musical master that is Peter Tekrin uh, from Hypocrisy fame and um, Pain fame. So we're digging through the Pain album, Nothing Remains the Same. And we're also touching on, at the start of the conversation, the brand new Pain song, Party In My Head, which is, which is a smash-up. It's so cool. And um, he, he talks us through it a little bit. Um, great guy, um, great little chat. He's a little bit of a musical genius. Uh, dig in deep to to what Peter's done, both musically and also production-wise. He's recorded so many of of the great uh, great Swedish records. Um, hope you enjoy, and um, we will talk with Peter again, hopefully, and um, talk about Hypocrisy, his his other band and dig a little bit into that, maybe for their new record when it comes. But enjoy this one, and we will see you guys next time. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Vinyl with Darren and Nicholas. Hey, man, are you in the studio at the moment? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Nice, nice, nice. How, how, how often do you go in there? You're literally in there every day? Nah, not really. I mean, only when I need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, before we before we dig into the record, so we're going to go back and uh, dig through. Nothing remains the same. But let's let's talk about um, "Party in My Head" as well. Um, yep. Dude, great song. Another great song. Thank you. Um, Thank you. What, what's what's the um, where does the mindset come when you when you write pain? Say compared to pain and hypocrisy, it's. Uh... Uh, I don't know. I just think now I gotta write a, a pain song. I, I I guess it's nothing really that I um, set out my brain to like. It has to be a pain way or whatever. It's just like now I'm gonna write a pain song or now I'm gonna write a hypocrisy song. So uh, I just set my mind to it. I guess. Do you, do you ever get a riff and realize like, oh, fuck, that's definitely put that in the pain? The yeah, pain it happened a couple of times. But um, uh, with this song, actually, the lyrics came first because of uh, the COVID and stuff. My friend said like, hey, why don't you write a, a song about party in my head? I'm like, oh, not bad. And then my brain started going. So I, I wrote the lyrics pretty fast. And then I put the, the music on top of it afterwards. So... Uh, it's the first time this happened, I, I would say. Okay, cool. If it if it came down to it, could you could you ever choose between the two bands? Uh, I mean, I need both. So uh, for me, it's it's not really uh, a trick question. I mean, I need both outlets. You know, both the 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 more brutal stuff and also the uh, what do you would call it like more experimental stuff for me right yeah yeah cool we're going we're to dig into it a little bit soon but um that was <clears throat> that was a big step in the beginning man you know the yeah it's kind of a little bit the the sub genres aren't there anymore like they used to be but back in no. the 90s they they still were there so for you to yeah. go and do pain from hypocrisy is a pretty big step yeah, but you could definitely hear it like in in Abducted album, the two last songs. There were were actually songs that I started right 
uh, outside the death metal, these two uh, slow songs like Slipping Away and I can't remember the other one. But it's, they were supposed to be like my thing, but the other guys really liked it and they said, hey, let's put it on on the album. So they kind of convinced me with it. And that was like the start for me to start doing other stuff. to touch on uh sebastian your, your, your son is playing yeah. in the band as well yeah. you know that's like eddie van halen does that he's got he's got wolfgang playing and there's a couple yeah. of other as well how do you how do you feel it must be pretty cool hanging having him side by side with you yeah it's great i mean yeah you just gotta watch him on tour you know there's there's <laughs> vodka and pussy only in, in in the head you know so uh uh but i waited a long time to bring him anywhere yeah uh, he was ready when he was 14, but I said, no way, I'm going to bring him out. Uh, so, I mean, we did this, uh, uh, Rautier had a release party in Bolenga. I don't know which album it was. And uh, Sebastian jumped in and, and played like 
five songs with me and me, him and Hulkov and uh, Jonas Shelgren. And we did like three uh, pain songs and two hypocrisy songs. And he was like only like 14 years old or something. And uh, yeah, he was ready then. <laughs> did you ever sit him down and just go like, well, this is the most important things you need to know about the music industry or uh, no he's pretty smart that kid so <laughs> uh, no I, i don't think so you know he he sees everything and i mean he he's been on big tours with me you know with lindemann playing drums and shit so he knows the shit right now yeah <laughs> nice. hey, how, how did you how did you steer him towards drumming and not guitaring I didn't do that. Uh, I mean, I'm an old drummer. I, I started as a drummer as well. And uh, I don't know. I think it was like, uh, he said very early on, I want to play drums, but he never did it, you know. But then when he was like 12 or 13, he started all suddenly. And I think like first couple of Slipknot albums really influenced him with uh, Joey and stuff. And uh I flew him to some concert. We saw them in uh, in Stockholm. I flew him to Paris so that he could see them like two days in a row and things like that. Because, yeah, it, it was. Um, I I don't know why he started, but right now he writes music himself. I mean, he he even wrote uh, a song together with me on uh, uh, End of Disclosure. Uh, we wrote a song together, and on the new album, he wrote one song by himself. So. Uh, and plus he's working on his own stuff it's more electronic kind of stuff I would say I mean uh, it's really hard to explain it's very unique stuff that he's doing right now and he was just he wanted to be different from everybody else so he just started writing and writing I don't know how many songs it's been written but in the end of the day uh, it sounds very different from anything else he's looking for a singer right now so let's hope he can get it out very cool, cool. What about behind the desk? Have you have you taught him production? Nah, I think he he taught himself. You know, by using uh, we were going shifts here in the studio for a while. You know, he's sitting uh, in a certain time, and then I come in and I sit a certain time, and when I walk out, he comes in again. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. uh, but now he's got a really good laptop with a lot of power and stuff, so he sits at home with his headphones and do the stuff.
When did you pick up the the production duties? Because you started that really, like every every hypocrisy record and every pain record you produced, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I used to work in this uh, tiny studio in Ludwika uh, called the uh, Studio Rock Shop, and it was actually a music store. And also, he had PA company and a little studio downstairs in the store. So when I got back from America in '91. I started working with him, helping him out because he didn't have a driver's license. I drove him everywhere. We set up PAs and I could use the studio for free and things like that. So um, that's how the first and the second album came about with Hypocrisy. What was the reason for you going to the US? Were you there for studying or? No, uh, actually it's it started my, my um, girlfriend at the time, uh, her neighbor, their daughter was married to a guy and they needed an au pair. And she asked if I could go. So it ended up, we went there. And after a while, I, I just felt like I can't stay in this house. <laughs> so I, I started, you know, hook up with the musicians and stuff and got in the cool gang, you know. And um, from there on, I stayed for three years. So, and then I was ready. I felt like it's time to go home and do something. Right. So there's so there's a kid out there somewhere that was babysat by Peter Tekrian. Yeah, well, no, not mainly me, but by her, yeah. <laughs> but something like that. The, 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 you know what? Every now and again, you think you, you can't get your mind blown and it yeah. fucking happens. So. Oh, yeah, it always happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, let, let's swing over to Nothing Remains the Same. Uh, third record. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Produce. I, I can remember when this came out. I was living in the UK at the moment, and and I can remember when this this came out. Um, yeah, great record. What what can you remember about recording that? Oh shit, I don't know. I was just probably experimenting like I did with the two previous one, only that I have a little bit better equipment or sounds for that album. Uh, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. I mean, in Sweden. Uh, uh, rebirth got very popular and stuff right. with the end of the line and on and on and uh, suicide machine so i don't know it, it's, it's hard to say i was just writing music as normal and experimenting with new sounds i bought new keyboards i bought new um, samplers and stuff like that and had a shitty fucking computer that always 
was uh, jamming, you know. Uh, but somehow I, I managed to get like all the channels into uh, ADATs at that time. I had like four ADATs I had um, uh, going combined. And, you know, when you press play, it takes like 20 seconds before all four of them are synced up and you can actually record. So it was a, it was a shitty process and it took a long time. And, uh, you know, you wanted to go via MIDI with the um, computer so you can somehow uh, sync them together and shit, but it never really worked that well. So you had just to record whatever you did on the uh, computer and just hope it didn't fuck up. Either you had to restart everything and then just press rec and just hope it synced up with the music. You know?
how, how would you compare, because that was back in 2002, how would you compare that to the technology that you have today at your hands? Oh, it's a big difference. I mean, you have a lot of good plugins as um, keyboards and stuff like that nowadays. And uh, you can basically do anything you want on your laptop. I mean, you can definitely hear when it's a laptop mix and not, but yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a different thing. Uh, everything sounds the same. Every, you know, most of the, these people are using the same snare sound, the same bass drum, the same guitar plugins, the same, this, same, that it just feels like it's, yeah. I try to stay as much analog as I can. You know, I have a lot oh. of chain that I go through with microphones and, and mixes and stuff because still it's yeah it, it just feels so flat somehow yeah in, in my point of view everybody is entitled to do whatever they want and you know the taste is different from everybody but for me it feels like it's like a, uh yeah a lot of these um laptop mixes coming out last five ten years yeah, yeah. well are the things today that you sometimes think about and you go oh i wish i could do that but the technology isn't there yet does that ever happen oh yeah it happened like 20 years ago <laughs> with that <laughs> album uh it was a hell of a struggle i mean today uh i just bought a new uh computer i didn't even plug it in yet it's the latest of latest with all the fucking plugins and uh, i can't wait to start uh writing the new paint album because, you know, sounds influenced me to write songs, you know? Yeah. And that's what it did in the past. I had walls with keyboards just stacked under each other. And I had this kind of meaty uh, thing that I went through with the different keyboards and into ADATs and shit like that. And um, somehow you, uh, yeah, like I said, you know, if you got a new keyboard, you could write one or two songs just by clicking through sounds and going like, oh, this is cool. And so that's what I'm hoping for this time as well. You know, some new good sounds that kicks your ass and get your imagination going again. You know? Right, right. I, I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel. I just want to make good part <laughs> of music. You know, that's always been my thing. Yeah. yeah. I've heard people say that with guitars, you know, like, oh, there's only 10 riffs or there's 15 riffs and they kind of, uh, or 15 songs, they kind of get, get through those songs and then they... Uh, they kind of hit a little bit of a wall and then kind of get a new guitar or something. And, and it gives yeah. them, you know, gives them more, um, more inspiration. Yeah. I mean, with, with guitars as well, you know, if you pick up a new guitar and it feels in a certain way, you start playing in a certain way. If I, if I get a Fender guitar, I start playing bluesy stuff. You know, if I get a different kind, you know, it's, I guess everybody gets influenced by what they're hearing, what they're feeling and, and so on. I've 
Hey, can you can you remember what songs you um you kind of start you you went in first with nothing remains the same? No, I have no clue which one was the first one I wrote after rebirth. Uh, that's a tricky question. I I really don't know to be honest. I know uh, it's only them was one of the last ones I put vocals on. And that's the first song on the album. So it, yep. I, I really don't know. Uh, and I think it's one of the last ones I wrote as well. Maybe that's why I put it on first because it felt mo- mostly fresh for me. Yeah. Uh, so that's a pretty cool song, man. That's a great, that's a great song. Yeah. yeah, it's a rock and roll song, you know? Yeah. So um, uh, I really don't know. I can't remember, to be honest. I would have to uh, to check on on uh, the ADATs, which right. song is coming first and which one is coming second and blah blah blah. So, uh, yeah. Um. So so traditionally, like you you said, the new song um, "Party in My Head," you write the vocals first. Traditionally, when yeah. it comes to pain, you you write. How how would it work? Usually, I get a melody in my head or or a rhythm or a guitar riff, and then I go into the studio and put it down. And then I just start putting shit on top of it. You know, you add and add and add and until you feel like, oh, this is completed. And then you go, okay, what comes next after this riff? You know, and you play it a few times and then it stops. And then your brain should go, you know, and then you go, okay, now I got it. So then you do the same thing with the next thing and you start building it up and adding and adding and adding shit till you're happy. And then you do the same thing. You listen to these two riffs and then you go like in your head, you know, what's coming next. And sometimes I can write the first riff and then I know how the whole song is going to be. It's a little bit different.
What was the reason for uh, putting a Beatles cover on there? Eleanor Rigby. Yeah, uh, good question. I don't know. I, I just <laughs> always thought in the 70s when, when, you're, when I heard it, it was like, uh, it was so dark and melancholy. You know, it's like the first goth song ever written in my book, you know. So uh, for me, it was, I just wanted to do it. I mean, the album is long enough for not having it on, but I yeah. just wanted to do it. So, and then of course we went, uh, I went to Polar Studio to put on uh, strings and stuff like that. Oh. That was pretty amazing. Uh, nice. Yeah, it wasn't too many bands after that before they made it to a gym or whatever they did. Right, yeah. <laughs> fucking talking about keeping a fucking monument, you know? No. Yeah. It's retarded. It's so retarded. Uh, anyhow, so I mean, I did the 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 strings on keyboard, and uh, it was just not really there. So uh, my A and R, David Mortimer Hawkins, he set up with a guy who could write down the notes, and he was more like a conductor and and, and also taking care of things. I don't. I can't remember if it was like the, the radio symphony orchestra or whatever it was, it was like 10, 10 guys or girls uh, doing this. And I, I was sitting there all the time while they were doing it. And I was just like, wow, these are my <laughs> songs, you know, because we put on a few other songs as well, the, these strings, and it really made a difference. But when I got back and I was going to start mixing it, I took away the, the keyboards and I only used the, the strings. And I was like, I couldn't get it together because it was so different sound from everything else. So I actually had to put it, and, and it sounded weird. So I actually added maybe 40% of the, the keyboard strings uh, in it to make oh. it more like real. It, it sounds weird, but it, it's that's how I had to do it at that time. Cool. Did, did nice. you ever get any kickback from anyone in regards to using a Beatles song? Yeah, you know, either people like it or they hate it. You know, it's always the same shit. No, I'm, uh, but it I'm seems talking like industry-wise, like industry-wise, like how do you mean publishing or anything like that? Nope. I mean, no. you're entitled to do uh, covers any way you want it. Yep. I mean, if you change uh, a bunch of stuff in it, then I guess you have to ask. And also, if you start fucking around with the lyrics, you have to ask for permission. If I got it right, you have to double check that. I can't be hungry. But I th I think gotta, for me, yeah, it's not really. I change. I didn't change really anything, you know, not, not even in the, um, the way the song is set up, you know? So I didn't hear anybody, uh, call me at Paul McCartney. He didn't say anything. So <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm not, I'm not a Beatles fan really, but they've got some great okay. songs. They've got some really cool killer songs. Oh, they are, they are the best. There's nobody will ever be like Beatles ever. Trust me. Whether you pretty, like it or not, that's how it is. Exactly. And they're pretty dark. There's some dark, there's some dark shit there as well. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah. I listen to Beatles almost every day. And um, Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm a big fan. So uh, there's nobody like that. Man. Rigby, fix 
up the rise in the church where the wedding has been. Lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing a face that she keeps in the jar by the door. Who is it for? All the lonely people. collect Beatles stuff as well in any way? No, 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 but I have a lot of Kiss stuff. So I collect a lot of, uh, I got like, I don't know, two meters of vinyls with Kiss or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But uh, other than that, I, I never really collected any vinyls. It was just Kiss when I grew yeah. up, you know? Yeah. Try to buy stuff all the time. And then when the internet came up, it was so much easier to, to uh, find bootlegs and um, promo uh, prints and shit like that so yeah i uh kind of i collected up to uh, let's say 83 when they got um you know with the first a coin um how would i say merchandise up exactly to 83 and, yeah. and after the reunion there's so much shit i i didn't even care about that 
but right. you know i still collect the 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 newer albums as well but only one print yeah. from everyone you know in the i don't With- know how many prints i have on like the originals white label print <laughs> and uh yeah there's a lot of shit you know i have like four or five uh, prints of every album up to 84. Wow. It's just with, with the, uh, with the Beatles, I, Beatles, I remember that I was, um, I interviewed Nick Anderson once and he had this book that was about, I think every studio setup that the Beatles ever had. And I okay. think he was, he was studying that book because he was looking for a certain sound or whatever it was. Can't remember what it was really nerdy. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I tell you, there's nobody like Beatles. I mean, Rolling Stones tried in the 60s and it just sounded like they found this um, playground uh, toys with a bunch of maracas and shit and everything was out of sync and <laughs> it was horrible. You know, they really tried to be Beatles in the beginning until they found their blues thing, I, I would say. Right. And uh, Yeah, and, and the methods they had, like four channels and they made it really fucking good out of that anyhow. So. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos, kudos to uh, George Harrison for yeah. the producing. You know. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who's who's your guy in the Beatles? Is it George? Excuse me. Who, who is your guy? Everyone has one of the Beatles. Like favors one of the Beatles. Who, who's is yours? Who's the fifth? Or no, who, who, who's your favorite? Are you a George guy? Are you a Paul guy? Or a John? No, guy? I would say I think Paul was the strongest dude, and when it comes to write songs, if you listen to, I mean, every song says like. McCartney Lennon because they didn't know who yep. was written whatever yep. you know but mainly that you can hear in the vocals I guess who who had it most you know in, in the writing in there was presenting yeah. it so for me I, I I think Paul was the the driving force I think John was like he was up till a, a few few years really going you know and, and then it seems like he slacked off a little bit and Paul took over uh, it's just my thought. Yeah. How do you look at Ringo as a drummer? It's Ringo's birthday today, actually. I think. I know. 81. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, crazy. I, I liked him because he, he had a good swing, you know? He had the yeah. groove. He was probably not the best drummer, but he made the band groove. Yeah. And it's that's kind of like Lars Ulrich. Lars Ulrich gets a lot of flack. Ringo gets a lot of flack. Yeah, but, you know... The difference between these two guys is like, I don't know. Sometimes you f- it feels like, you know, Lars is on a different planet and playing uh, his own song. Uh, I mean, if you look at a, a, a good swinger as well, Phil Rudd from, from uh, ACDC. He plays yes. the most simple stuff, but it fucking, sh- it, it really fucking, uh, you got the, the, the really s- swing in it, you know, it's groovy even though you, you play a normal fucking beat and not so many people can do that.
Um, swinging back to the record, um, second song on the record, Shut Your Mouth. Mm. Obviously a massive, a massive one for you. Can you remember how that started, how you wrote that? Yeah, I was laying in bed and I had this melody in my head. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, oh, shit, do I have to go down to the studio and record it so I don't forget it tomorrow? So I, I actually went in my morning robe over the grass and went down to the studio and started everything. And I took out this melody I had in my head and I put it on the keyboard. And I recorded it. And then uh, next morning I went down and I finished the song. Wow. That quickly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty quickly. I mean, the, the lyrics came a little bit later, but I think I had the whoa, whoa and uh, shut your mouth feeling. Because I, I, I think I started with the chorus writing the lyrics. So I knew what the hell I was going to sing about because I thought it was like, uh, shut your mouth. That, that sounds good. You know, that can work. It's a good uh, cliche. The screaming you know? <laughs> i scream that to people all day long so why not just do it and make some money out of it <laughs> um were you were you su- surprised by the success when it started to grow did you know when you wrote it that you got a you got a banger on your hands no you never know that i thought it was cool i thought yeah people would like this but i didn't know Maybe the, the, the keyboard was too annoying. Maybe people will puke on it because it's really annoying, this fucking shit. Every time I hear it, I get like goosebumps in the wrong way. You know, <laughs> they grow in, inwards. It's like, oh, I can't take it. But when you're stand standing on stage and you hear the intro and you hear the people, it's the opposite. So um, to sit on the sofa and listen to it, no, thank you. <laughs> but to play it live, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's so I think, funny. I, I've heard it. Um, I've heard it sampled so many times, man. Yeah, know? Prodigy did it. And, right. Uh, you know this uh, Diesel Power. They have this as an intro in the beginning. Yep. Yeah. Maybe I should call them and say, "Hey, what the fuck?" But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good at advertising. I don't care. You know. Yeah. Where did and the I- title for the uh, album come from? Nothing remains the same. Did it, did it have anything to do with Zeppelin? No, it had to do with the, the previous albums, right. but it changed a little bit. Right. And uh, I was also thinking since Rebirth was so su- successful, uh, I wasn't counting on the next album to be that successful. So that's also another thing I was thinking, like, uh, you know, song style wise and also the, the previous success. And I figured that's not going to happen again. So for me that's a good title you know nothing remains yeah. the same yeah it doesn't mean it's going to be as good as it was you know do, so do you ever more in a that... negative way than a positive way so right well do you ever feel that pressure as you mentioned that you 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 had like a su- successful album then you're off to writing a new album is there ever a pressure of like oh the next album has to sell more be better no. blah 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 no no it's all no. about if, if i like it or not If yeah. I think it's shittier than the the previous one, then I have a problem. <laughs> but I, but for, for me, it feels like I always, I mean, there. if you look in the uh, hypocrisy discography, yeah. there's a few that's in the middle there somewhere that really lacks. But I don't know why it lacks of, of, of quality. It was just the way it was then, you know? But if yeah. I listen now, I can feel there's a little dip down in the middle there. So uh, it's just, you never know. I mean, while you do it, you believe in it, 
and you release it and hope for the best. Yeah. And that's the only thing you can do.
you're pretty productive around this time because Catch Twenty Two come out the same year, right? I think this one came out two thousand and one, and Catch Twenty Two was two thousand and two. Two thousand and two, right? Yeah, I think. <laughs> not oh, sure. not, nothing remains the same. Came out two thousand and two. Yeah, that's what I thought. It came out two thousand and two, yeah. and Catch Twenty Two yeah. come out at the beginning of two thousand and two. Let, let's look. Fuck! <laughs> okay, I can't see. One second. I'm so blind. I think it says two thousand and one. Yeah, it does. it does. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Look. You see it? No, but it's. We trust you, man. We trust you. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see the label. Uh, it's too small. Good. Shit. Yeah, but that's that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, whatever. But, yeah, but yeah, how, I'm how, pretty sure it's 2001. Yeah, how, how do you feel about the? Uh, how do you feel outside of Sweden? Obviously, this was a big record here. What about outside of Sweden? Well, it got, didn't get released in too many countries. I could I could you tell know? you a story off air about that actually. Yeah, <laughs> especially in UK, it was not even available there. Yeah. Wow. So I know it, it was. A I think we had that. every Universal company had to make for their own countries. Yeah. So that was hmm. it. But I tell you right now, I just got back the rights for it. So it will be reprinted and it will be out again. Very oh, cool. All over the world. So nice. When that album was, was done and pushed for, I think it was like 10 countries they released it in, mainly Central Europe and Scandinavia. Yep. Right, right. Huh. And that was it. I, I think Canada, because some reason it went very well with the rebirth in uh, Canada. So I think they released it as well there. I have the list on all the countries. They, every album was released. So I'm getting back four albums from Universal and, or I got them back already. And I'm waiting for uh, Roadrunner now with the um, Songs of Extinction. I'm going to get that back as well now. Cool. So I'll most likely release it myself. Will you do well, like vinyl version? Excuse me. Will you do uh, release it on vinyl as well or something? Like yeah, that? yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Do, you, do you have do you have bonus material? Do you have songs that um, that didn't come out? All that kind of stuff. I think we used everything on singles <laughs> and stuff like that, B sides <laughs> and shit. There was so many singles we released per album. I don't know. If, I mean, on Rebirth, I think there was like three or four singles. On this album, there was three or four singles as well. And there were some bonus tracks on those, like from demos and shit. So I don't know. I just want to be, make it available all over the world. So yeah. that's my my point. Uh, I mean, my new manager, Anna, she really, before we started with this uh, party in my head thing, she started going through all the um, platforms of digital. It was just horrible. And I think every month, uh on um like in april or may every month on spotify we had like three hundred thousand uh listeners and now it's up to seven hundred and fifty thousand listeners right just in a few months it went twice as much since she started organizing all this shit and getting stuff together so but still you know these four first albums are not available uh, in every country on spotify you know Right. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pull out the universal stuff and put in ours and just make it worldwide. Great. Very cool. Yeah. Um, 
Just Hate Me as well. Mm. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. You co-wrote that with, with Max Martin in the end? I didn't write it, actually. Uh, it was him and Pat, Pat Aldehain right, who okay. wrote that song. And I don't know. Uh, that was something that David Mortimer Hawkins had some um, meetings with them about something else. I don't know if it was for uh, Lisa Mabrowski. No, what's her name? Lisa Miskowski. Miskowski, yeah. Or there was something she was doing with them. And somehow they went into the pain thing and they said, yeah, yeah, we might have a cool song for him because it's too different from what they were doing with Backstreet Boys and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So they uh, played it to me and I was like, well, it sounds like a pain song. Why not? You know, let's try it. But we never pushed it as a Max Martin song, you know, <laughs> So not, not many people know it's 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 him and Pat who wrote it. I just went into this uh singing booth and tried to sing my ass off you know i'm no britney spears but you know uh i guess they auto-tuned a lot i remember i was really nervous and i sucked really bad but they got it okay yeah well is is max martin is that someone you're in touch with or was this no uh, he actually called me afterwards and he was really happy with everything. Uh, I think Stefan Glaumann was mixing it. And so I was not even around. I only went in and sing and that was it, you know? Right. Because uh, it was nice for me to not care, you know, just yeah. to sit beside and just see what they're going to come up with. And he called me afterwards when it was done. He's like, you don't have to say I wrote it. I know it, it's bad karma for you, you know? <laughs> like, oh, come on, don't worry about it. So he wanted me to say I wrote it, and, you know? But he just wanted to be nice to me. Yeah, so, oh. and I said, fuck that, you know, I, I'm not ashamed. Right? So, yeah. That's cool.
I I love the album cover, the artwork. Um, yeah. And that, I think that's the that's your best looking album artwork. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking at it now. It's like yeah, that was actually uh, Mikadelica, uh, Mickey Gustafsson, who uh, did um, a few videos with me. Uh, he did uh, End of the Line, Shut Your Mouth, uh, Suicide Machine. Uh, and also he did this uh, Just Hate Me video with all these small dolls. He said that was the worst worst shit he ever did because it was so much effort in, in time and shit. Uh, he came out, he, he saw these um, wings hanging at someone's atelier. And it's like, wow, oh, that would be cool to do a cover with. And somehow I think uh, David found out about it and they said like, hey, Peter, Let's do some photo session with these. And I was like, okay, no problem. And that was long, long time before Angel with the Rammstein. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, actually not. I think they started earlier with this thing, didn't they? Uh, I, I could be wrong. But yeah. I think <laughs> later on they, they started with this burning shit and stuff. Right. But anyhow, yeah, it's pretty unique. Definitely. Yeah. It looks cool. I, I, I was very uh, I felt very silly just sitting in my boxer shorts and just going, okay, are you sure you don't see my ugly fucking body now? Ah, don't worry about it. Click, click, click. Okay. That's a great cover. Hey, speaking of yeah. production uh, production stuff, do, do you ever get too close to it? Do you, do you sometimes, is it a little bit of a burden to, uh, to be producing it as well? Yeah, it is. I mean, you have a lot of balls up in the air. First, you have to write the good song and then you have to perform somehow. And then you have to mix it. And, you know, the, the producing is like when you start making the song, it's like, okay, maybe this is too long. Maybe cut it down in half or things like that. So, yeah, but that's the price I pay for living in the woods and don't want anyone touch my shit. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's good that you're schizophrenic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might bother yeah. the other guy, but not this guy. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
you.